0: Good morning, welcome if you came in late. My name is Stephen, I'm one of the pastors here and we are on week two of our new series Encountering Jesus, Encountering Jesus. So Jose and I, we were talking back in the spring and he, he asked me, you know, hey, Stephen, you're going to lead this summer teaching series while I'm on sabbatical, let's be praying for the Zayas family while he's on sabbatical. And he said, hey, what do you, what do you want this series to look like over the summer? Like what do, you, what do you feel compelled to lead our church family in? And I said, I, I just want our church to encounter Jesus. I just want them to encounter Jesus. So came up with this really clever title, super creative, Encountering Jesus. Uh, this is the creative juices were really flowing on that, on that afternoon. We have a value of simplicity here. So there we go. Uh, no, this, this fall, we're going to be focusing on the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Jesus. And so this summer, we want to look at Jesus encountering people and changing lives. Because we believe, church, that the Bible is alive. It is living and it is active. It is not a dead book looking at history and moral lessons and just events that have happened. It is authoritative and it is living and it is active and it encounters us. And we also believe that Jesus is alive, that He is not dead. And so we invite Him as the living Christ to encounter us and to change us as well. We believe the Bible is alive, we believe Jesus is alive, and we believe that He is as the living God encountering us. And so we want to encounter Jesus. And so today I want to start with this idea that first words are significant words. As a parent, you remember your child's first words, right? Typically, you know, they're mama or dada, right? And for me, uh, I'm 2 and 0. Both my boys, the first word was dada. So, you know, you got to take your W's, you got to take your wins where you can get them. My wife is very quick to let me know, apparently, that, you know, dada is easier to say than mama developmentally, which just sounds like a sore loser. Let's just be honest, Right? <laughs> And there's always, so it's usually mom or dad, right? But there's, no, no one's kid, their first word is enchilada, right? Or something like that, which would be amazing. And there's always that one parent who's like, my first child's word was actually brilliance because, you know, they're brilliant. And I just want to say, well, my first child's, you know, word was Jesus. So there you go. Because <laughs> I'm an amazing father. <laughs> no, no. Uh, an author makes sure that their opening line hooks you, Right? Uh, Ray Bradbury's book, Fahrenheit 451, opens with this line, it was a pleasure to burn. I don't know if I'm just sadistic or something, but I'm like, I cannot put this down, right? It was a pleasure to burn. Or George Orwell, which says, you know, it was a cold uh, day in April and the clocks were striking 13. There's no way you're putting that book down. What is going on, right? First words are important words. And what our text is today is we're looking at Jesus' first words in the book of John, which is a question. And it's a question that will hang over today. And the question that Jesus asks in John 1 is, what do you want? What do you want? Jesus is encountering us with this question as well, church. What do you want? What are you seeking? Why are you here? What are you looking for? This is the question that Jesus is encountering us with. And Jesus asks this question, but this is not a superficial, hey, what do you want for dinner, right? This is not, what do you want? I want a nap, right? This is like, what do you want? I want a taco, or now you want an enchilada, right? I know what your lunch plans are now. Uh, What do you want? I want a new golf swing. Uh, What do you want? I want a remodeled bathroom. What do you want? Uh, I I want my mother-in-law's two-week stay to turn into a one-week stay, you know? he was like, what do you want? Which I would say, if my mother-in-law's watching, Carol, I love you. You are welcome to come stay anytime and watch our children. Uh, You are welcome. You are welcome. Stay weeks and weeks and weeks. What do you want? This isn't, what do you want? I want my neighbors to stop lighting off fireworks at 11 o'clock at night. What are we doing? Somebody in our neighborhood is literally lighting off fireworks at 11.30 at night, which means my children are waking up, which means I'm not sleeping. Someone in our neighborhood, uh, Margaret and and Monty Rhodes live in our neighborhood. This is you. I know where you live, and I'm coming after you. Copals? I know it's somebody. It's, it's Monty, yeah. I'm coming after you. Which we just gotta, we just gotta ask. What are we doing? What are we doing? Like to the guys who just buy these fireworks and they light off the three that like sound like explosions, you're not gonna out-firework the city. You can go to places and watch firework shows. Your four fireworks going off are just not impressive compared to the, what you could go see. And you're not gonna be like, I, I've never lived in a place. This is my, I, I'm just going to go on this rant for a second. Like, I've never lived in a place, I was not planning to do this intro, but as I was up at midnight, I'm like, I know what I'm talking about as we kick this thing off. <laughs> I've never, I, I grew up in California, which if you just look at a firework, half the state catches on fire. So, and the fireworks are not a big thing, uh, which you might be thinking like, come on, Steven, that sounds fun. Give your kid a sparkler. If I give my kid a sparkler, he's going to gonna try to eat it, which does not sound fun, like, I lived in Arizona for a decade. Why would I want to light off burning fire when I live on the surface of the sun? Like, why would I want to do this? Like, what are we doing? Please don't light off fireworks at 11 o'clock at night. What do you want? As much as I want that, that's not what Jesus is getting at. What Jesus is getting at is he's getting at the heart. See, we are so often busy with life and we're overwhelmed with all that's happening around us that all we have capacity for, All that we have mental space for is the desire for a nap, is the desire to just stop fighting, is the desire for just an extra night of vacation. But Jesus loves us too much. He's actually after your heart. He's actually after my heart. He's after our hearts. And he wants to get to the root of your life. Jesus is asking, what do you really, truly, deeply, foundationally want? Jesus encounters us with an invitation to go deeper with this question today. To not just let it sit on the surface, to go deep to the roots of our life. What do you want? So what I want to do is I want to pray that we'd receive this invitation and really just open our eyes and open our heart that we'd actually have space to process this together this morning. So let's all just create space to pray now and invite the Holy Spirit to allow us to see what do we want. So let's just take a minute now and pray. God, you say your word, it cuts to the heart. God, you say that you know everything about us. You know the deepest things about us. And so Lord, as we come into this place and you ask this question of us, what do you want? Lord, would we have eyes to see it? Would we have hearts that are ready to process this, Lord? Thank you that you are not just content with surface level relationships. You actually want to know us. You are so committed to us, Jesus. And I pray that as we enter into your time in the Word now, that you'd equip me, give me the words to say. I don't want to just say some words on a sheet of paper. Lord, nobody wants to just sit here for the next uh, 30 or so minutes and just listen to a talk. We want to encounter you, Jesus. So we ask you now as we open your word to encounter us that we might see you to become more like you and have our hearts be molded and transformed to desire you more and more, that we might experience true life in you. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, we're going to get after it. If you're taking notes, we're going to be looking at three deep foundational desires that are revealed by three titles of Jesus within this text. If you've got Bibles, you can start turning to John 1. But the first thing we're going to look at is what are you seeking? What do you desire? Number one, let's encounter him with this first thing that we want is number one, a new life. And to be honest, we are seeking new life. John 1 verse 35, you can turn there. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So we gotta set the stage here. The text comes the day after Jesus was baptized, which is pretty cool that we're doing baptisms today. We did not plan this. God is just way more intentional than we are, and he's good. And so John calls Jesus uh, on this day that he's baptized. He calls him the chosen one, and he calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in today's text, in John 35, what we see is that Jesus encounters some of John the Baptist's disciples, and then John again says, look, the Lamb of God. And we say something twice, it's pretty important, so we want to listen in. So this is the first title of Jesus. If you're taking notes, we see in our text that John is calling Jesus the Lamb Lamb of God. And this is echoing imagery from the entire Bible. See, the sacrificial lamb, all throughout the Bible, he would die and be substituted for the people's sins. But Jesus is the Lamb. He is the Lamb of God who fully takes away the sin of the world and can completely, truly, fully make us clean and new and forgiven and free through his sacrificial death on the cross. Jesus is the Lamb of God. John is saying that in Jesus you can have new life. And if we're honest, what do we want? If we look at our lives and we're really honest, we want to be new people that don't have the stains of sin in our soul. If we're honest, we we don't want the scars of what we've done and what's been done to us. We don't want the brokenness. We long to be new. We long to be whole. We long to be different. And the good news is that Jesus, as the Lamb of God, can actually deliver on this desire on this theme 2 Corinthians 5:17 don't just take my word for it let's look at the word for 2 Corinthians 5:17 says this therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come notice the tense it's not future it's present if anyone is in Christ, if you have surrendered to Jesus, you are a new creation. And that's good news. You are a new creation. Your redemption, your restoration, your renewal is guaranteed and it is secure. It's real. It's as real as the air you're breathing. It's as real. Feel the chair you're sitting in. It's as real as the chair you are sitting in. Your redemption, renewal, and restoration is real. And it's now. It's now. And it's secure because it is in Jesus. It's not in your work, it's in His work. It's in Jesus' work as the Lamb of God who died for the penalty of sin and rose again conquering the power of sin. See, following Jesus is such a monumental, it's such a new, it's such an identity-shaping, life-changing, all-encompassing reality that Jesus says we are literally born again. Which if we've been in church for a long time, we can just do the thing where like we hear things said and it's like, oh, you just nod our head. But like, that's incredible. Like that's wild language that Jesus used, that we can be born again. And Here's the thing about being born. You and I, we can't do that by ourselves. You can't be just born by yourself. There, there are other factors involved here. The guy in John chapter 3 who Jesus tells, you got to be born again to inherit eternal life. He offers this born again new life. This guy says, hey, I'm Jesus. You're telling me I got to climb back in my mother's womb? I, that ain't going to happen, Jesus. And I, I'm no biologist. And I struggled in AP bio, I'll tell you. But he's right, you know. Like, he's right. I, I've been at two births. That's enough for me. Some of y'all have like five kids. Some of y'all, I mean, I, yes, Wow. I've been at two births, that's enough for me. But this I do know. Again, I'm not a biologist, but I know this. We need someone to deliver us. We need someone to give us new birth and new life. This doesn't just happen. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it paints a clear picture for us. It says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us Not you worked it up, not you tried hard enough, not you had good intentions, not you uh, strived well enough, not you're a good enough person, not you did anything. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Church, only through Jesus can we experience this new birth and this new life. I want to tell you, this is good news. Jesus offers something better than a better you. Jesus offers something better than a better you. He offers you a new life, eternal life, real life. Amen? Amen. Jesus offers you something a better you. We feel this deep desire. What do you want? We feel this deep desire. and One of the things we really want is, a, is new life. But it's not just that like Christians feel this or something. It's not that Jesus' followers just feel this. Everyone feels this made in the image of God. We feel this restlessness. We feel this desire to be new people. We feel this desire to, if I just had, I want a new life. And the world is offering us counterfeits because we all feel this. We have to do something to stop the restlessness. The world is offering you something. It says a better you will make you new. The world says a a better version of you is going to make you new. The world says if you can just change the way you look, if you can just fit in that dress, yeah, that one, right? If you've had, you know, those abs, like the wow version of you, right? (laughs) Like whatever version of you that is, then you'll have a new life. If you can just add some digits to your bank account, if you have some degrees on the wall, then you can be a new person. If you're just in a different stage of life, then you'd be different. If you were just single, if you were just married, then you'd be satisfied. If you just get back to that life pre-kids, if you just get back to that life pre-gray hair, I keep this thing tight so you can't see it. You know, if you just had, if I just get back pre-body aches from sleeping funny. If you're in your 20s, you have so much to look forward to. And some of y'all in your like 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you're like, Stephen, you literally have no idea, dude. My niece still hurts. We were here setting up for Easter. I just jumped off the stage and my niece still bothers me. Why? I'm an athlete. (laughs) If you just lived out those desires and fully expressed yourself in every way, if you just didn't deny yourself anything, then you'd finally be free and have a new life. If you just had a life that looked different, the world says then you'd be different. And all of this, and I think part of my job up here is to help us sit. Like we live in a house of mirrors that's distorting all kinds of stuff. And part of my job, I think, here is to put up an accurate reflection of our world, of God, of ourselves. And what I want to say is that this is a house of mirrors. This is a counterfeit. This is a lie. It looks like the real thing. Just a better view, version of you will make you new. It looks like the real thing, but it ultimately cannot deliver on what it promises. If you want a new life, I have good news. That's what following Jesus is all about. Jesus gives new life. And he, again, he offers you something better than a better you. He offers you something better. Actual, real, true, eternal life. Back to our text. Just notice what the disciples do. If you're looking at that, you know, John 1. Notice what the disciples of John do when they encounter Jesus. What do they do? They leave and they follow Jesus. And the call for you and I here today in this place is to follow him as well. And so the question is, who do you need to stop following to follow Jesus? Who do you need to stop giving an ear to to give an ear to Jesus? Who do you need to stop looking to to look to Jesus? Jesus. What do you need to leave to come to Jesus? When we truly encounter Jesus, when we truly encounter the Lamb of God, the one who can give us whole life, the good life, new life, eternal life, we can't help but follow him. We can't help but follow the one who offers true new life. Life. Jesus asked, "What do you want? So number one, we want a new life. But we also want number two, if you're taking notes, we want a new way. We want a new way, a new way to live. Pick it up, verse 38, John chapter one. Turning around, Jesus saw them, those are those followers of John who are now following him, and, and asked, "What do you want?" That's our question, right? And they said, "Rabbi," which means "teacher, where are you staying?" And Jesus says, "Come, and you will see." Some versions literally just say, "Come." And see. Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. The Bible's real. It's real people in real places doing real things. See, we don't just long for a new life. We want to live in a new way. We want to be different people who live differently with real power. We want to we want to live towards a real purpose. We want to experience freedom. We want to experience wholeness. We want to break the chains of addiction and brokenness in our lives. We want to be on mission that actually means something. And this is what we want out of life. And again, I got good news. This is what following Jesus is all about. See, these followers of John, they follow Jesus and he asked them, what do you want? What are you looking for? What are you seeking Jesus asked them. That's our question today. And the disciples, they address Jesus as teacher or rabbi. And if you're taking notes, this is the second title of Jesus in this text, that he's teacher, that he's rabbi. But when you hear the word teacher, don't think of your high school science teacher, right? Uh, A teacher biblically was not someone trying to get you to, you know, get the necessary minimum required knowledge to pass a chemistry exam or something. Like, when we're talking about a teacher, we're not talking about workbooks, homework, uh, memorizing equations, and cramming for finals. Praise God, that's not what Jesus is inviting us into, right? Like, some some of you are, like, deep into that right now. And one day it'll pass. No one is going to ask you this stuff, you know, in 10 years. Like, don't worry. But following, no one's ever asked me to do calculus, but it was really important that I did it, you know. (laughs) Following a rabbi It's not that. So what is it? Following a rabbi was learning an all-encompassing way of life. It was thinking differently. It was an invitation to live differently and viewing all of life engaging with the world differently. To follow a rabbi was to follow their worldview. To follow a rabbi was to apprentice their way of life. To follow a teacher was to follow in their steps. See, to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus as rabbi, as teacher, is not to come and learn some abstract theological truths about Christianity. It's not an invitation to just come and check some doctrinal boxes. It isn't just to come and learn some nice moral lessons. Doctrine matters. We we just put up a new about section on our our website. You can go read some of the things that we plant our flag with. Doctrine matters. Theology matters. Don't get it twisted. I I went to seminary. This stuff matters. Like, living ethically matters. matters. It's not less than that. Being an apprentice of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus as teacher is not less than those things, but it's much, much more. It's an invitation to encounter Jesus and pattern your entire life after Jesus. I said again, the invitation is to encounter Jesus and pattern your entire life after Jesus. Jesus. 1 John 2, verse 5 and 6. At Ryan, when we were in our uh, Sabbath series, pulled this verse out. And when he, when he shared it with me, it just, it really struck me in a fresh way. And it says this, 1 John chapter 2. This is how we know we are in Him, in Jesus. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. We must live. As followers of Jesus, we must live as Jesus did. That is the call. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Follow God's example, therefore. As dearly loved children, you are loved. You are a child of God. So walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Discipleship to Jesus, apprenticing Jesus, following Jesus is an all-of-life project to reflect our life, to become more like Jesus. For Jesus is Lord over all. It's an all-of-life practice because Jesus is Lord over all of life. Following Jesus requires a renewing of our minds It requires a renewing of our hearts, of our desires, of our affections. It involves a renewing of our actions. It involves our head. It involves our heart. It involves our hands and feet. It involves all of life, for all of life is all for Jesus. Encountering Jesus changes us. We can't stay the same. That's why we wanted to do this series, Encountering Jesus, because we want us to be changed by Jesus when we encounter Him. When we encounter Jesus, the way we engage in our marriages changes. The way we see the vulnerable changes. It changes the way we conduct our work. It changes the way we engage with our politics. It changes the way that we treat those who slander us and slight us. The way we steward our money, the way we steward our time, the way we express our sexuality, the way we use our freedom, the way we use our rights, the way we engage with culture, the way we talk, the way we act, the way we think. All of it changes when we encounter Jesus. All of it changes. When we encounter Jesus so back to our text I want us to notice there as you're, as you're looking there in first in, in John chapter 1 notice what Jesus says when they address him as rabbi as teacher right he says come and see again uh, other translators, literally it's all it says come and see not come and learn and this come and see, it echoes taste and see that the Lord is good. That's a refrain that's found throughout the Scriptures. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Because there's a world of difference. Let's just be, let's, let's be honest, right? There's a world of difference between uh, having a conversation about a ribeye steak and tasting one. There's a world of a difference, right? There's a difference between actually, like, we're, we're going to theorize about what's the correct cooking method. Are we doing like a reverse sear situation? Are we, you know, going right on the grill? Are we doing cast iron with, you know, the butter and all that? Or are we doing something else, right? There's all these different conversations, uh, and there's, of course, the right answer is you must cook it rare, maybe medium rare. Uh, anything more than that, we're going to put you under church discipline. And so, um, <laughs> which, I, which I got a confession. I got a confession. Tony, you might have to come up and take this microphone after this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get kicked out of town here. I was making my wife a birthday dinner, and I, I botched it. I mean, we had these ribeye steaks, and I was, I was all like, I'm going to crush this. And pride comes before the fall. And I just I botched it. And things were like, well done. It was horrible. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. And so I just come here in a contrite heart asking— <laughs> Forgiveness for this. Uh, again, there's a world of difference between talking about a ribeye and actually eating one. And I'm going to take the ladder. I think you'll take the ladder. And the good news is Jesus will take the ladder as well. Hallelujah. Amen. He says, "Come and see." Uh, Some of you guys are going to now you're you're thinking enchiladas, and now you're thinking of ribeye steaks. And so we're just taking you on a culinary adventure here. I have no transition from that. So the encounter to encounter Jesus is to come and see. Jesus' way, that was for free. Jesus' way is the only one truly worth following. Come and see. Jesus' way is the only one worth following for it's good. It actually satisfies and it actually changes our lives. And the invitation is not to come and think about it. It's not to hypothetically talk about it. It's actually to come and see it, which is an amazing invitation from Jesus to come and see it. You want to see healing in your life? Come to the healer. You want to see redemption in your life? Come to the Redeemer. You want to experience freedom in your life? Come to the great Emancipator and Liberator who sets us free from all of the shackles of sin and evil and ultimately one day, finally, death. Come taste it and come see it is the call. Come taste it. Come see it. Jesus is the only one who can truly deliver. My old seminary professor uh, told me one time, he said, idols never fail to fail. But Jesus actually delivers. Jesus is the only one who will die for you. He is the only one. Your idol is not going to die for you. It says you die for him. You die for her. You die for it. Jesus says, I'll die for you. And he gives you his spirit. Don't miss this. Jesus actually gives you, he doesn't just die for you. He gives you his spirit who can actually empower you to truly live in a different way. This is not muster up your own strength, try harder, do better, better intentions, let's go. This is Jesus gives you a new spirit to empower you to live in a new way. Church, when you surrender to Jesus, his spirit dwells within you. This is amazing. His spirit dwells within you. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And you have real power now to really kill sin. For the Bible says, greater is he who is within us, he who is in us, than is he who is in the world. You have real power from the spirit to really live in a new way, to really change and to really break generations of brokenness and pain and death. We have real power. That's good news, right? We could do right now—we could do an open mic right now where we could literally share for hours stories just in this room about how Jesus has changed lives, changed family trajectories, changed everything, stories of healing, stories of renewal, stories of all kinds of amazing, miraculous things. And we could be here till next Sunday hearing this stuff because God is alive. He is real, and He is really changing lives. In my own life, my grandfather, he—he just passed away— we, were, we had planned a two-week vacation. That's why I was gone the last two weeks. But we left a couple days early because my grandfather was on his deathbed. And so we got to go down and uh, say goodbye, which I'm so thankful for. Um, but my grandfather, he came from a long line of alcoholism and violence. Uh, his grandfather literally died in a bar fight in Arizona. Like this is, some of us inherit legacy of faithfulness. Some of us inherit bar fights in Arizona. My grandfather was the latter. Like hard life hard situations to inherit my grandfather he got saved at a Billy Graham crusade in Orange County and our entire family trajectory changed my, my my aunts and my mom did not grow up in a home of alcoholism my 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 parents grew up in Christ-centered homes Jesus changes lives. He changes generations. An entire family's trajectory changed because one man put his faith in Jesus. And some of you are sitting here as the first link in the chain, and God's going to use you to change entire generations and family trajectories. And that's amazing. Jesus, let's, let's thank God. And my grandfather would be the first to say that he's not the amazing one, but he serves as an amazing Savior who works in amazing ways because Jesus offers a new and he offers a better way. The question we got to ask this morning, the question we've got to answer this morning that Jesus asks is, what do you want? Many of us want to live in a new way. And just like we talked about with the new life, it's not just that we feel this. The whole world feels this. We want to live in a new way. But we just, we got to go there. we got to go there. And again, the house of mirrors, we got to see the lies and the counterfeits that are in front of us because nothing in this world can give you what Jesus alone can give you. Here's the deal. You want to live in a new way. The world says, yes, we want to feel that. We feel that. We want to live in a new way. And I just want to tell you, a Peloton instructor can't do it. Like a self-help book is not going to cut it. A mindfulness workshop is not going to give you a new way to live. It's going to change. Your life. I don't care how good it is. That might be really helpful, but it's not going to change your heart. Some yoga isn't going to deliver. <laughs> the, and we're just going to go there. The meme maker on Facebook, that reel on Instagram, That 30-second video on TikTok doesn't know more than Jesus. you got people, so you want to follow a new way to live, and we're looking to memes for how to do it. We're looking to 30-second foolishness online. And some of us were being discipled more by memes than we're being discipled by the maker of heaven and earth. Some of us were being discipled more by social media than by the Savior of the world. I just want to tell you, like, social media does not know more than Jesus. Like the YouTube influencer does not know more than Jesus. Like the late night talk show host, that blogger, that podcast, that columnist at the New Yorker, they aren't wiser than Jesus. They don't have the truth. They can't empower you to live a new way. They will not die for you. They don't give you a new spirit to empower you to live in a new way. They aren't leading you to new life. If you want to live in a new way, if you want to live true life, if you want wholeness, if you want flourishing, look to Jesus. We just sang about it. He's the way, He's the truth, He is the life. Amen? What do you want? Jesus actually offers. Jesus actually offers. He actually offers a new life, one. Two, he also offers a new way with a new power. And if you're taking notes, number three, what do we want? What do you want? We want a new world. Back to our text, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said. the Lamb of God. And then turned and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was go find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. What do you want? Jesus encounters you with this question. And I think after these last two plus years of a pandemic and disease and death and isolation and division and discord and loss and so much more, we ache for a new world. And yet again, I've got good news for us. This is what the Bible is all about. This book leads to a new world. A new world where there will be no more pain. We long for this. A world with no more pain and loss and death and sin and evil or curse. A restored world. I mean, imagine it, church. Imagine life, but no more sin. Imagine everything that's good and true and beautiful about the world, but no more sin, infecting it like a parasite, See, the Jewish people had an expectation that this world would come, where the Messiah, where the Christ would come. And this Messiah, this Christ, he would come and he would conquer evil. He would defeat the enemies of God. He would overthrow them. He would purge them. And he would bring in God's good rule and reign and world. And Andrew, this disciple of John, who is now following Jesus, he runs to his brother Simon and he says, we've found him, the Messiah, the chosen one. And indeed, he has. Andrew had encountered the Messiah. This is our third title for those taking notes. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. The same word, just different language. The Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one, the king who will bring about a new world. And before we keep moving on, I just got to do an aside. What a great picture of evangelism that we see here. Andrew finds good news, and he can't wait to tell his brother. You know, the old joke goes, right, like, how do you know if someone does CrossFit? How do you know if someone, like, sells essential oils? How do you know if someone's a vegan? They'll tell you. You don't have to wonder, right? Like, like I never knew that you did CrossFit. You only talk about it all the time, like, right? Like, lovers talk about what they love. And the true evangelist, which we're all called, again, this great commission, we're all called to be baptized. We're all called to go and tell and show the whole world about Jesus. And we're all called as the true evangelist. The true evangelist isn't pushy, isn't judgy, it's not arrogant, it's not condescending. It's just one beggar telling another one where to find bread. Let's be a community who bursts with good news on our lips and who embody good news with our lives. Church, we have good news. We've also encountered the Messiah. We have good news. Jesus deals with the penalty of sin. He deals with our sin. You are sinful. I am sinful. We are sinful. We all stand guilty. And Jesus deals with the penalty of sin as the Lamb of God who died and who rose again, which is good news. Jesus deals with the power of sin, giving us his spirit to empower us to overcome the ways of the flesh, the ways of sin, the ways of the enemy. And Jesus deals with the presence of sin, eradicating every drop and residue of the curse when he one day returns and restores all things. Jesus deals with sin, he deals with its penalty, he deals with its power, he deals with its presence. And this beautiful final day where all of sin and all of evil and all of this will one day be uh, uh, eradicated is depicted in Revelation 21. It's important that we know the end. You've heard us say this before from the stage, that when we know the end, it shapes the present. So read with me starting in uh, verse 1 of Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, that is Jesus, he said, I am making everything new that is good news. What do you want? We want to live in a world without poverty. We want to live in a world without loss. We want to live in a world without war and without trafficking and without homelessness and without anxiety and without disease and without disasters and without death. We long to live in a world of peace and life and justice and harmony and beauty and flourishing and rest. We long in Oregon for sunshine. We long for warm days and blue skies and dry ground. When I lived in Arizona, we just prayed for some water and something Green. Here we just want a Saturday with some sun. Amen? <laughs> this longing we have for a new world is promised to come. We long to live in a restored world, a healed world. And because of Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection, it is coming. It is coming. And the fact that we have this longing for a restored world. Tells us that it can be met somewhere. What do I mean? C.S. Lewis famously said, quotes up on the screen, the Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men and women feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable exclamation, explanation is that I was made for another world. We were made for another world, a restored eternal world with God and His people without sin. Eternity is written on our hearts. We were made to live with God and His world forever. Things were not meant to die. Sin is not part of the original plan. We were made to live with God in his world forever, and our hearts are restless until we rest in him on that final day. We all long for this. We want the kingdom, and our world is grasping for it as well. Again, the world offers a counterfeit of this. The world offers a counterfeit of this. And we just have to go there. Again, how does this play out? We're on Fourth of July weekend. These are just the waters we're swimming in. i got to hold up the mirror to see uh, the house of mirrors that's distorting things and put up the clear picture. These are the waters we're swimming in. Both the political left and right offer a vision for a new world. If you just vote this way, if we can just get this majority in D.C., if we can just get this person in the Oval Office, if we can just get those leaders on the bench, if we can just pass this legislation or get that education in our system, then we will usher in a new world. It is being offered to you on every single cable news station. It is being offered on social media. It is being offered by the pundits and the politicians that in them they will usher in both the left, both the right, all of it. They are offering you a new world and they cannot deliver. There is no kingdom without the king. They're offering you a kingdom. They're offering you the good life. But the hope for the world is not in an elephant. The hope for the world is not in a donkey. The hope for the world is in the Lamb of God who rules and who reigns over all. And one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that He alone is Lord. We come here to remember that because we are being lied to. Jesus is nobody's mascot. He will not be used for anybody else's agenda. Not mine, not yours, not theirs. We get on his mission. Jesus is nobody's mascot. He is Lord, and he is the good king leading us to a new world, making all things new. We tracking with that? Want to tie all this together. We want a new life. We want a new way. We want to be part of Jesus' new world. And all of this, all this together, it ties into one big idea, and that's that we have a new identity. See, Peter, he encounters Jesus, and Jesus changes his name, which is amazing. Like, I, I don't meet Tony, and it's like, hey, what's your name? Tony? No, it's not. It's now Thomas. Like, I don't have that authority. Only God has that authority, right? Like, only God can do that. God does that all throughout the Bible. He changes people's name as a way to communicate a whole new identity because you're born again. You're a new person, right? And just look at what the text says. You can look at just verse 42. We don't have to put it up there. Just, just look at what it says. It says, Andrew brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated as Peter. Jesus changes Peter's name from Simon to Peter, which uh, is translated, it means, means rock or sounds like rock. The rock. Jesus says upon this rock he will build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Jesus has a new identity. Don't miss this. Jesus has a new identity for those who encounter him and surrender to him. I want you to look at me. Do you know that Jesus has a new name for you as well? Like right now, he has a new name for you. Jesus has a new name for you today Some of us are living under that old name of rejected And Jesus has a new name of accepted for you Some of you are living under a name of rejected And it's shaping your whole life It's shaping your identity And Jesus has a new name of accepted for you Some of you are living under the name addict And Jesus has a new name of free for you Jesus has a name for you, and it's not failure. It's victorious because he is victorious, and if you're in him, then you are victorious with him. Your name is not forsaken. Your name is chosen. Your name is not damaged goods. Your name is clean, washed by the blood of Jesus, white as snow. Your name is not death. Your name is life. Your name, church, is not sinner. Your name is saint, even if you don't feel it. Your name is saint. Your name is not enemy. Your name is family. Your name is not broken. Your name is redeemed and reconciled and restored, and it is loved. Amen? That is your name. We need to know who we are, church. Not because of what we do, because of what Jesus has already done for us. You don't work for it, you respond to it. That's why we always have a time of response after we teach because we need to respond to this good news that you didn't work for, but you receive. Know who you are in He has a new name for you. You don't need to jump at your old master's voice. You are free. You are forgiven. You are chosen. You are loved. Again, it's as real as the seat you're sitting in. If you have surrendered to Jesus, it's as real as the air you're breathing. So in closing, church, this text, it revealed three titles of Jesus. One, he's the Lamb of God. Two, he is the ultimate rabbi. And three, he is the Messiah in Christ who is ruling over all. Jesus is the truer and he is the better Savior. He is the truer and better teacher. And Jesus is the truer and better King. You want to n- live a new life? Look to the Lamb who takes our sin, who gives us new birth, and who makes us new. You want to live a new way? Look to the teacher who gives you his example and his spirit to live in a new power. you want to live in a new world, look to the Christ who will one day make all things new. As the band comes up, Jesus encounters us with the question, what do you want? What are you seeking today? And whatever your answer is, let's come to Jesus and see. He's truer, he's better, and he is inviting. Let's pray, let's respond, let's encounter him. Pray with me, church. Jesus, thank you that you are truer and better than the world's best thing. Thank you that you are the Lamb of God who takes away our sin and the sin of the world. Thank you that you are the teacher that teaches us the best way to live, that you are the way, the truth, Thank you, Jesus, that you are the truer and better Messiah in Christ who will lead us to a new world. That one day, everything sad will come untrue. Thank you, Lord. There's an invitation for us today to look into our hearts and see what are we seeking, what do we want, what are we looking for? And the invitation is to come to you because it actually can be found in you. Whatever we're looking for. You are the solution. You are the answer to life's biggest desires, deepest needs, greatest longings. And you invite us to come and see. So in faith, Jesus, today, empowered by your spirit, would we come and see? Would we encounter you? We need you. We love you. Thank you that even we don't feel it, it's true. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We respond to you now.